And please turn with me in God's Word to the book of John, chapter 6. The book of John, chapter 6. As I said earlier, we're considering a series through the Belgic Confession, but of course it's our secondary standard. Our standard is the Word of God, and we want to see where these things are drawn from God's Word. And so we want to read about uh, what Jesus said in John, chapter 6, beginning at verse 35 and reading through the end of the passage uh, in connection with the Belgic Confession's teaching on the Lord's Supper. So we're going to read John chapter 6, verses 35 through 59, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. As I said, we want to think about the Lord's Supper 
And we want to think about particularly what the Lord's Supper means to us in terms of spiritual nourishment. And so after several weeks of thinking about baptism together, uh, the first sacrament ordained by our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we can now think of the second sacrament ordained by our Lord, the sacrament of Holy Communion. Um, Maybe some of that passage sounded familiar to you. Um, We read part of John 6 every week when we use our form for communion uh, to remind us of the promises there, to remind us that our Lord has instituted this supper for our enjoyment, for our nourishment that we might celebrate and be fed by Him. Um, We read the words of institution that come from John 6. We read the words of institution that come from 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, We read those passages, and it's a very important thing that that the Bible records for us, Jesus instituting this supper. Uh, We find it in all the Gospels. We often read uh, the Gospel accounts as well in connection with the Lord's Supper. Uh, We read it from the the Gospel of Matthew uh, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, And gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Mark records this event in Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 24. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank of it, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Um, then also in the Gospel of Luke, one more, in Luke twenty-two nineteen and 20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Um, All of the gospel writers record this. They want us to understand the significance of what Jesus is doing here. Um, It's enough when God says something to us once. If he says it to us three times, we really ought to pay attention to all that he has to say. We want to understand this. It's important that Jesus not only instituted this, this holy supper, but he instituted it at that last supper when they were celebrating the Passover meal. Uh, would have been a vivid reminder of the lamb that is sacrificed at the Passover, uh, that Jesus was now going to make a new covenant in his own blood, uh, and this new covenant that is instituted there at this meal of the old covenant with his disciples. This is all very significant to teach us that something very important is happening in the Lord's Supper, pointing us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we want to think about the Lord's Supper together. We want to spend some time thinking about this very important ordinance that Jesus has left us and what it means for us. Um, We want to think about the Supper by asking some fundamental questions. And that's how we'll organize our, our thinking about the Lord's Supper this evening. We first want to ask, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? This is clearly an important institution in Scripture. So what is the purpose for which God institutes this Holy Supper? Um, Second, who are the proper participants in this supper? Who ought to come to the Lord's table? That's important to think about as well. And finally, we want to think about that important question, how does the Lord's Supper nourish our souls unto everlasting life? Um, How does that happen? How are we to think about that happening 
in this sacrament. So we want to think about the purpose of the supper, the proper participants in the supper, and the way that the supper nourishes our lives. That's how we want to think about uh, this together. What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Um, Well, the purpose of the Lord's Supper, as revealed in Scripture, is very helpfully summarized for us at the beginning of Article 5 of the Belgic Confession. We believe and confess that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has ordained and instituted the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and sustain those who are already born again and engrafted into his family, the church. That's a very important important purpose statement for us to understand why Jesus has left us this sacrament, uh, what the purpose of the sacrament is. It's to nourish and sustain believers. It's to nourish and sustain those who are born again and who have been engrafted into the church. Uh, The purpose of the Lord's Supper is not to make people born again. It's not to regenerate people. Um, It's not to incorporate them into the church. That's not the purpose of the Lord's Supper either. Um, It's for those who are already engrafted into his family, the church. Um, We've noted that baptism really is the sign of incorporation. So this is a very helpful summary of what, what the Lord's Supper is intended to do. It's intended for those who are already born again, who are already engrafted into the church, that they might be nourished and sustained in what God has already done in them. It's not to create something new, it's to nourish and sustain what is already going on in them. Uh, We should think of the sacrament as being a sacrament that's there to strengthen our faith, uh, to strengthen our spiritual lives, to strengthen the inward grace that is already present in believers by the powerful working of the Spirit of Christ. It's the same kind of grace that we receive in the preaching of the Word. Um, It comes to us in a different means, but it's the same Christ and it's the same grace. Um, We don't want to miss that important fact. That's what the preaching of the Word comes to do for us too, to strengthen our faith, to nourish us with Christ Himself. Uh, we've, We've talked about the fact that we are a people who are slow to learn things, and so God gives us three things that all point to the same place. He gives us the preached Word that preaches to Christ crucified for sinners, And then he gives us baptism, which points us to the blood and spirit of Christ that wash away our sins that he accomplished on the cross. He gives us the Lord's Supper that points us to the broken body and poured out blood of our Lord that set us free, that broken body and shed blood that were there on the cross. And so what does God do for us in the same way? He points us three different ways to Christ crucified as the only hope for sinners. Um, So that our gaze is never taken away from the cross of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished there as the only hope of his people. He wants our eyes fixed there um, because that's the only place that can give us true and abiding and lasting hope. Because if we don't focus on him and what he did on his cross, then we're going to begin to look at ourselves. And the minute we do that, uh, that is a sure recipe for becoming discomforted unsure, because we look at ourselves and see the weakness of our faith, our failures in, this, in spiritual life, and that's why we, we even say in our communion form, if you're finding yourself meditating too much on your weakness and on what you lack, remember that that's why the sacrament is given, that you might be strengthened. 
that's what the word preached is intended to do for you. That is what the sacraments are intended to do to strengthen the faith of believers. Um, and that, that the word gives us the same Christ. The sacrament gives us the same Christ. The same grace is presented in both. I think that's important for, to, for us to understand, especially as a people who go to the Lord's table every week, um, that sometimes you can have it where you visit another church and they have the word is preached and they have a good liturgy, but they don't partake of the Lord's Supper. And sometimes I'll have someone say to me, you know, we visited this other church and then we came back and it was a really good service. They preached the word, but there was no Lord's Supper. Um, as if, you know, you kind of get half of Christ in the preached word and the other half in the sacrament. And if you don't have the sacrament, you're sort of missing part of Christ. And I always take that opportunity to say, you received all of Christ in the preached word. There is nothing lacking in the word. The sacrament comes and presents that same Christ, that same grace. Uh, Dr. Howell Jones, who was always good at turning a phrase, uh, told us in seminary that the, that the sacraments are not a means of special grace. They're a, mean, they're a special means of grace. They're not a means by which you get some special grace that you don't get in the preached word. Um, they're just another means by which God presents to you Jesus Christ. Um, and feeds you with him. Um, and so we want to remember that. That's the purpose of the supper. It's a glorious and gracious purpose from our God. Who knows that we need nourishment. Knows that we need strengthening. Spiritual life needs to be fed. Um, it, can't, it can't just not be maintained. Um, any more than our physical lives can just not be maintained. Um, our spiritual lives need to be nourished with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has presented us with the word and with the sacrament that we might be nourished. And so if that's the purpose, if that's the purpose to nourish those who are born again and incorporated into the body of Christ, then that helps us to understand who are the proper participants in the Lord's Supper. Who should come to the table of the Lord? Who is it for? And that's why I think this article is so helpful for us in understanding who belongs at the table of the Lord. Because sometimes people are confused by why would children come and be baptized and then not come to the Lord's table. Some people have a big, a big problem with this. Some people have gone so far as to say there shouldn't be any distinction. Any child that comes for baptism should just be admitted to the Lord's table. And you should just have them both do both because... Aren't they part of the church? And that's why this summary is so helpful. Who is the, the Lord's Supper for? It's for those who are already born again. And for those who are already incorporated into the church. And so sometimes we have children who have been incorporated into the church, but may not already be born again. Um, and if they're not born again, then they don't come to the Lord's table. Now, you might say, now, wait a minute. I was listening to you a few weeks ago. Hopefully, some of you were listening to me a few weeks ago. Um, and you, you said, you know, being born again, regeneration is something that we can't figure out on our own. Um, we don't know who's regenerate. We don't know who's born again with absolute certainty. So how could you say you would only admit someone to the table who's born again? Well, we said you can't know with absolute certainty the secret work of God that's going on in the hearts of people but when that secret work of God has begun in the heart to bring us to life, we can see the effects of that life being worked, working out in believers. Now, that's how Jesus taught us to think about 
this work of being born again. Remember what he said in John 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We can't directly perceive regeneration, but we can perceive it in its effects, in the faith that is worked, that the repentance that is obvious in someone who comes to the Lord. And so those are the kinds of things we're looking for. That's how we know who should come to the Lord's table, by asking those questions, by asking, do we see the evidence of those effects of the Spirit's work in this person's life? Um, Is this person repentant? One One of the effects of the Spirit at work in the hearts of a believer is that we become sorry for our sins. Um... And sorry for our sins because they are sins against God. Um, Not just sorry for our sins because we know what it will bring us. Um, I've I've shared this with you before about boys and girls. Maybe you'll enjoy hearing it again. Sometimes when I would get in trouble as a little boy, um, I would say to my dad, I'm sorry. And, And he would sometimes say to me, you're not sorry you did it, you're sorry you got caught. Um, now, I was pretty good. I, this rarely happened, boys and girls. But every now and again, it would happen. Um, and it was true. There were times I just knew punishment was coming. And that's why I was sorry. Um, and, and what my parents obviously wanted was for me to be sorry that I did something that was wrong. Um, and that, that's what the Bible is talking about when it talks about repentance. We're not just sorry because we know we're going to have some consequences for what we've done. We, we're sorry because we realize that we have offended a holy God who has only ever been good to us. We recognize our iniquity. We recognize our our filthiness spiritually before the Lord and we desire to be cleansed from it. That's what it means to be repentant. To have that spirit that that David evidences in Psalm 51, verses 2 and 3. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. When the, when the Spirit is at work in someone, we begin to see, I'm dirty. And I want to be clean. I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to be washed from my sins. Um, is this person repentant? That's what we're, we're called to ask. Does this person have faith? Right? When, we, when we recognize our own iniquity, when we recognize our need to be cleansed, we have to know where we find that cleansing and put trust in the one who can make us clean. And that, that's really what faith is. Trusting that the Lord Jesus Christ will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That he will cleanse us from our sins and make us clean. Think of what he said in John 7, verses 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Um, Who should come to the table of the Lord? Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who know themselves to be sinners and know that the only way they can be made clean is by the working of the Lord Jesus Christ. To make sure that all of the the necessary things to make a credible profession of faith are there. 
uh, that we know the truth about who we are and the truth about who Jesus is, uh, that we know how we're saved from our sins by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we agree that what the Bible teaches us about the salvation of Christ is true and that we put our trust in it. Right, So that it's not just the things we know and agree to intellectually, but that our hearts are committed to the Lord in such a way that we are putting our trust in those things for our future and for our salvation. That we know what Jesus has done and we, we believe in Him. Um, so people who are repentant, people who are filled with faith and desire to be increased in their faith. Right? Those who come to the Lord's table understanding what it is are those who not only profess faith in Christ, but profess they need their faith strengthened. Right? We, we know when we come to the Lord's table, if we've rightly examined ourselves, if we've rightly thought about who we are and who God is, we understand how much we need strengthening. Right? That's why the purpose of self-examination, even as we see it in our form, is not to make people despair. Right? That's why it's such an important part of our form to not let people despair. To not let people who are recognizing their sin and the weakness of their faith say, I'm just going to let the elements pass me by because I'm not worthy to be here. There was a story once of an elder in in the church where they passed out the elements for communion and there was a lady weeping in the front row over her sins and when when the elements came, she just wanted them to pass by. And the elder said to her, take it, he died for sinners. The person who's broken in their sin and desires to be strengthened in their faith, that's exactly the kind of person that should come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should remember his words in Mark chapter 9, 23 through 24. All things are possible for one who believes. You remember what the man responded? Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? That should be the cry of everyone who comes to the Lord's table. I believe, help my unbelief, strengthen me, Lord, in my faith that I might trust in you more. I want an increase in faith. I want an increase in holiness. I want to live a life more and more that's pleasing in your sight. Uh, That kind of person should come to the table of the Lord. One who's desiring to lead a godly life. Right? That's an important part of our form as well. Who should come to the Lord's table? Someone who's sensible of their sin. They're repentant. They put their faith and trust in Christ. And they desire to lead a godly life. How spiritually crushing it would be if the third requirement was that you are perfectly living a godly life. Then we'd all let the, let the elements pass by without taking them. Um, but what is, what is the standard there? Not that we have perfectly arrived, but that we desire to live a godly life. That we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we trust in God's promise that those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed because they will be filled. Um, are, we, are we repentant? Are we faithful? Do we desire for an increase of faith, an increase of holiness? Those are the people who should come to the table of the Lord. That's what the officers of the church are looking for in people who want to come to the table of the Lord. Um, that's what we all must be looking for for ourselves in coming to the table. 
right? The officers of the church are fairly limited in how they can look into the hearts and souls of people um, and conclude anything. We can look at the effects, but we have to depend on, on what we're told. We all know our hearts much better. We all know where it is with our hearts and souls before the Lord. We know whether we're sorry for our sins. And so self-examination is an important part of coming to the table of the Lord. And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 29. Whoever therefore eats the, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's what we're looking for in ourselves. Do I acknowledge my sin? Am I sorry for it? Do I put my trust in Christ? Do I want to grow in faith? Do I want to grow in holiness? Is that the desire of my heart? Um, That's what we want to be looking for. And we want to understand what the Lord's Supper is. That it is nourishment to those who are struggling that it is the nourishment of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We have to be able to discern the body. For again, as Paul says, whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Um, One of the problems with the Corinthian church as Paul came to them is they said, you have no idea what the difference is between ordinary bread and ordinary eating and drinking and this that you're called to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You treat the Lord's Supper as if it's supper at home. You don't treat it as a holy thing. You don't really appreciate what you're doing. And Paul even says to them, and it's having serious consequences among you. Some of you are getting sick and some of you are dying because you don't know what you're doing. And part of the reason he goes back through these things in 1 Corinthians 11 is so that the church would be able to understand what they were doing. So they would discern the body and blood of Christ. And that's why when we say who should come to the table of the Lord, um, and some people will say, well, children should just come. Every every child should come. Uh, Well, you have to say, no, we have to be looking for these things. Do they have faith? Are they repentant? Do they desire to increase in faith and holiness? Do they understand what's happening at the Lord's table? All of those things are required. Now, all of those things are required, especially for those who are called to fence the Lord's table, to protect the Lord's table, so that we protect people from coming in an unworthy manner. Um, but they have to be able to articulate it to us. So we're not in any way trying to limit what the Holy Spirit can do in the hearts of children. You know, if, if a child came and said, you know, I really want to make profession of faith, I really want to come to the table of the Lord, we would all be encouraged to, to hear that, and we would want to hear from them and talk to them about repentance and faith and about what happens at the Lord's Supper and see, have they come to understand these things? And if they understand these things, and if they show evidence of being born again, then we would admit them to the Lord's table as those who are already born again and who are incorporated into the church of God. Um, then they ought to come. Um, But they need to be able to do that. Uh, Just as everyone who comes to the table of the Lord needs to be able to articulate those things. Um, And so sometimes I say it's not because of any limiting the Spirit's ability to work in children. It's that we have, as officers of the church in particular, um, have to be able to discern these things in them um, and be able to make sure that we can shepherd them correctly at admitting them to the Lord's table. Because until you have a certain understanding, you don't understand your sin or your Savior 
or what's happening at the Lord's Supper. And we need to make sure that people can understand these things. And that's why people say, why don't people who, why don't children who come to baptism just come to the Lord's table? Where there are different things the word says about the Lord's table that we have to be able to examine ourselves and understand ourselves, our God, and what's happening at the supper. That's why we've also said that people shouldn't come to the table of the Lord if they don't belong to any church. Here again, the Belgian Confession is very helpful. It's for those who've been incorporated into the body of Christ. Um, It's those who've been incorporated into the body of Christ, who belong somewhere. Um, It it shouldn't be surprising to us that if you don't belong to a visible people of God, then you shouldn't be coming to the visible table of the Lord. Um, If you don't belong to a visible people of God, then why would you come to this visible manifestation that we are one with God and one with one another? Because the Bible points out that both are happening in the Lord's Supper. It's both a communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and a communion with believers. We're all one because we all eat of the one bread. We partake of the one bread. It's a manifestation of our unity. And that's why we say if we don't belong to any church, then people shouldn't come to the, to the table. Not because we're saying they're not Christians, um, but because a Christian not joined to a church is a contradiction in terms that needs to be put right. And so obviously we're patient with people who are in transition, who are, who are in, becoming part of the church, um, but it's a situation that people should not be in. Um, and someone who is just in between churches and not making any effort to join a church, to be part of a body, we don't admit to the Lord's table uh, for that reason. We also say that people should not come to the table of the Lord if they are unbelieving or unrepentant. Um, again, if we, if we know ourselves to be unbelieving, if we know ourselves to be engaged in sin that we have not confessed before the Lord and taken steps to find forgiveness of sins in his name, if we're still in that process of that sin crushing us down but not taking it to the Lord, as David describes it in Psalm 32, then we need to put that right before we come to the Lord's table. Um, If we don't believe the things that God's word says, if we're not living how God's word tells us to live, then we should not come. It's for those who are sorry for their sins and who believe, uh, not for anyone else. That's who should come. And when people come with faith, when people come with repentance, when people come for that with that increased desire to be nourished with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to understand that everything that Jesus promised in this text will be true for us. That he is the bread that came down from heaven, that those who eat of him would live forever. Um, that's the whole import of what Jesus is teaching in John 6. He's trying to remind them of what happened in the wilderness to their forefathers. That manna came down from heaven and they ate that manna every day they were in the wilderness for 40 years. That God fed them with bread from heaven. And Jesus makes the remarkable point, and everyone who ate from that bread that came down from heaven died. And they were reminded specifically when that bread came down from heaven that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And they ate the bread that came down from heaven, the food of angels, the psalm calls it, and when the food was still in their mouths, they complained about what God had done for them. And those who ate that bread in the wilderness died. And Jesus comes in a powerful way and says, 
I'm the bread that came down from heaven, unlike what your fathers ate in the wilderness and died. Because he who eats of this bread will live forever. The Lord Jesus Christ is true food and drink to life eternal. Um, And that can be a sort of heady and mysterious concept, right? They struggled with that language when they first heard it. Well, how could he say he comes down from heaven? We know he comes from down the block. So what is he talking about? Um, Or I'll give you my bread to eat. Well, how can he give us his flesh to eat? You know, they didn't understand that. Early on, the Christian church was persecuted by the Romans because they accused them of being cannibals. Because they heard heard that they ate the flesh and drank the blood of people. Um, How do we understand these things? How are we meant to understand them? And the Belgian Confession has a wonderful help to help us understand these things in a very simple way. It's a wonderful explanation doing just what Jesus did here, talking about earthly life that was fed with earthly bread and heavenly spiritual life that's fed with spiritual bread. And the Belgic Confession just takes that teaching of Jesus and makes it very simple for us um, and talks about the difference between our earthly lives and our heavenly lives. The Belgic Confession is so helpful. It says, now those who are born again have two lives in them. One is physical and temporal. They have it from the moment of their first birth and it is common to all. The other is spiritual and heavenly and is given them in their second birth. It comes through the word of the gospel and the communion of the body of Christ and this life is common to God's elect only. Thus to support the physical and earthly life, God has prescribed for us an appropriate earthly and material bread, which is as common to all as life itself also is. But to maintain the spiritual and heavenly life that belongs to believers, he has sent a living bread that came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and maintains the spiritual life of believers when eaten, that is, when appropriated and received spiritually by faith. That is such a helpful explanation of how life works. Uh, that there's a life that all mankind enjoys. We all have the same kind of life from our first birth. We all have lives, and those lives need to be nourished and sustained. And we know that food and drink nourishes and sustains our lives. Uh, that's common to everyone. We all have a physical and time-bound temporal life. Um, and, and we understand that earthly life is like that. It's, it's physical and it's time-bound. Right? People have said if you, if you go through a graveyard, isn't it kind of sobering to recognize that your whole life is summarized by a hyphen? Born this day, died this day. And your whole life is the span between those two dates written on the gravestone. It's time-bound. Born this day, this year. Died this day, this year. Our lives are physical. Our lives are time-bound. They begin at the moment of our first birth. They're common to all. Everyone in the world lives this kind of life. And that kind of life is supported by the same kind of food. But then there's another kind of life. A heavenly life. 
A life that's not common to all. A life that you can't print on a grave marker. Um, Because once it's begun, it never comes to an end. It's spiritual. It's heavenly. It's not common to all. It's only enjoyed by those who've been born again to a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a life that never fails. It's a life that never ends. But that life too is supported and nourished by a certain kind of food. And isn't that a wonderful explanation that Jesus helps us with? Because we understand life being supported by food. If I preach to you long enough, your stomach will begin to tell you it's time for food. Um, And if I can hear it from where I'm standing, I know it's time to stop. Um, But our our lives do that, right? Our stomachs begin to rumble. Um, You know, sometimes boys and girls, they rumble so loudly that it's embarrassing. You think other people around you are going to hear it. Um, We get hungry. Our bodies let us know when we need to be fed. And what, what Jesus is saying, your spiritual life needs food too. That, that new life that God creates in you needs to be nourished and strengthened. And how is that done? Well, it's not by physical food that's common to everyone. It's by that special food and drink that's only for believers. That's given just to those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. To maintain that spiritual and heavenly life that belongs to believers He has sent a living bread that came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and maintains the spiritual lives of believers when eaten. When we we partake of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are fed in such a way that we will live forever. We are nourished and sustained in our spiritual lives so that we will live forever. And how do we partake of Jesus Christ? We partake of him. How do we eat and drink? Boys and girls, if I asked you, how do you eat and drink food? You'd say, well, pastor, it's so easy. I don't even have to explain it to you. You put it in your hand. You put it in your mouth. Or you pour it down your throat. Um, You might say, pastor, do you really not know how this works? Um, So how how do we... Eat and drink Jesus, who is true food and true drink unto our lives eternal. Well, the Belgian Confession helps us there too. It says, faith is the hand and mouth of the soul. Faith is how you take the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is how you feed on him. And that's what Jesus was imploring the crowds to do in John 6. I am true food. I am true drink. Whoever eats of me, drinks of me, will live forever. How do you eat and drink of the Lord Jesus Christ? By believing in him. By believing that he came down from heaven to nourish our souls unto everlasting life. Uh, That we would be fed by him and live by him. Um, That's what manna was meant to teach them. This bread is not enough. You need something more. You need to live by the word of God. Um, Deuteronomy 8.3 Humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And who is Jesus? 
He is that incarnate word. Who if you eat of him, you will live forever. That's the importance of what he says in John 6, 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We appropriate the Lord Jesus Christ by believing in him. And he feeds us and nourishes our bodies to life eternal. Now that's one of those concepts that if it's just left to think about and to try to picture in our minds, it could be hard to keep a hold of. And so what does God do for us? He gives us a visible sign and seal of that. He gives us a visible sign and seal of an eating and a drinking that nourishes you to everlasting life. And he pictures that for us in the Lord's Supper. And that's how the Lord's Supper signifies and seals to us that just as surely as we eat the bread and wine, so surely will the blood and spirit of Christ nourish our souls unto everlasting life. The body and blood of Christ nourish our souls unto everlasting life. And so we have to understand that reality. And isn't it wonderful that our God not only brings us to life, but sustains the life he brings to life by himself as true food and drink to life eternal. Uh, May all of us partake of him by faith and have life in his name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the bread from heaven that you sent us, even our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is true food and true drink unto life eternal. We thank you for giving us the Lord's Supper to picture that reality to us. We pray that we might always come to the Supper as we ought with the knowledge that we will surely be nourished and strengthened in our faith. Help us to always come sorry for our sins and filled with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, desiring to be nourished and strengthened. And help us to trust in your promise that you will do what you've promised to do and nourish our souls unto everlasting life with Jesus Christ himself. We thank you for this food. We thank you for the gift of faith by which we might partake of it and live. And we give you all the glory. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.